I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, February 27th, 2022, and this is episode 160 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. This week's best thing is a return to things I love. I have not been rock climbing for the past couple of weeks, and I got back to it this past week. I've been having problems with ulnar nerve, um, cubital tunnel syndrome, my hands being numb. And so I was advised by the physician who lives in my house to take some time off of rock climbing. I don't think rock climbing is the cause of this. It's more like sitting with your arms bent at the computer and reading hours and hours a night, a week, a lot, all of reading, holding my Kindle to my face, which, you know, I I stopped doing several months ago when this first came, but sometimes I forget and I had to just recommit myself to my ergonomics, to taking lots of breaks during the day, to um, I got a brace at night to keep my elbows straight when I sleep because that helps. And um, yeah, so I've been, you know, turning up the notch on my mindfulness about my body position and the rest breaks and all of that, and really trying to stay healthy as I work at the computer all day and read a significant portion of many of my nights. Um, I do have a reading pillow, which I do use. I just sometimes forget. And I don't know, I feel like I had slacked off a little bit. And so that's why I had a flare up of the numbness in my hand, which was making it difficult to do things like put my makeup on and write with my hand, like with a pen, (laughs) which I don't do that often, but so yes, I, I took several weeks and I was really mindful. I'm trying to keep that into the future and stay healthy. I got back to rock climbing, which I adore. And I also got back to plotting. So um, this week I finally started plotting Beastly Kingdom, which is the sequel to Savage City. And when I first was plotting, like, you know, way back when I got back to the story because this is... Savage City was a story that I had started many years ago. But this iteration, when I was like, I'm going to finish it and write it and publish it. And, you know, I had the idea I was going to do this long series. Like, I was going to plan five or six books right at the beginning. And eventually, like, reality caught up. And I was like, okay, I'm going to plan three books. And I remembered doing this work and planning three books. And then when I went back to actually plot book two, I opened the file that was my series file. And I saw all the notes. And the planning consisted mostly of the titles of the books and the potential titles of the books, and then the couples who would be the main couple. So I knew the main couple of Beastly Kingdom, and I had several ideas for titles. Um, and I had two sentences of actual what happens in the book. I thought I had more. Maybe there's more somewhere that could be in a notebook I've scribbled or a text file somewhere that I did not find. But um, I didn't have a lot more. It was in my head. I had thought the basics out, but I didn't have as much as I thought. So I started the plotting, and basically I did a brain dump of everything that was in my head that I thought might happen in this book. I know like I, I took what I knew, <laughs> those two sentences, and the ideas that I'd had, um, and just opened up a text file and started writing. So I have a text file called notes.txt with a list of things that could happen. And then I went to my worksheets. 
So I actually started making a new document called New Novel Steps to try to track how I do a new novel. And I feel like I've tried to do this before, but I couldn't find that document if it exists. So there are three worksheets that I have that I sort of started, and then I would fill out a few things on them, get to something that I didn't know that I was stuck on, and move to a different worksheet to try to figure that thing out. So I have this one that's my novel planning workbook, and it asks questions like, why do you want to write the story? Why do you care? What's the point of the story? What are you trying to say about the world or human nature? Then it got to something about the characters. And so then I moved over to a different worksheet. That's a story premise worksheet where I wrote down who are the main characters? What do they want? What is the inciting incident that upsets the status quo? How do the main characters react to that inciting incident? What sustains the conflict? What are the stakes? And what is the crisis choice that each main character must make towards the end of Act 2 or Act 3? And as I was filling that out, I was like, hmm, I need to know more about these characters. Um, everybody in this book appeared in book one. So I, I know something about them, but I had to dig deeper because I wasn't in their point of view for book one. So I moved to my third worksheet, which is the relationship toolbox. And that's where I wrote down the character traits, um, the romantic conflict. And that's when I realized I need to know the character wound. So then I went to One Stop for Writers, to the Emotional Wound Thesaurus, and I scanned through all of the wounds, writing down potential wounds. And I, so far, I've only done the hero, the, the main male character, but all the potential wounds based on what I know of his backstory, so I could figure out his lie. And then I moved to Enneagrams and tried to figure out his Enneagram, um, the personality. And I could not because none of them really fit exactly. So um, I did some more work with the wound and the lie, and that brought me actually to an Enneagram that I've never done for a hero before. I try to, I try to switch things up. I realized that some of my characters have, or the main characters tend to have the same personality. So I am conscious now about trying to give them different personalities. This is the first time that a hero has been a four, a type four, which is an individual in the Enneagram personality system. And I'm not sure about it, but it seems to fit the lie and the wound that I have. And it'll be interesting to do something very different because uh, he's a soldier, he's a warrior, he's a dragon, shifter, and also this personality type, which has a strength of being creative and idealistic. Um, the desire is authenticity. His ideal is originality. This is according to this chart that I have. I'll link to the Enneagram cheat sheet, this chart that I use. I print it out for every book. And um, then I usually write down which Enneagram the main characters have, like next to the number. So number four is the individual. And um, yeah, it just gave me a lot to think about. So after Enneagrams, I, I haven't done the heroine yet, but um, I went back to the novel planning workbook, which was the first worksheet to try to do the log line and the elevator pitch, because I do want to write the blur before I start writing or before I get more into the plotting, or at least as I'm plotting, writing the blur before I, you know, it, it's, that's a tool that can help you flush out your idea right at the, at the head at the beginning and um, focus you and, and kind of be a roadmap for the actual book. This book is further complicated by the fact that I still need to check in with the first couple. like. Savage City ends happily, of course, um, but there are still trials ahead for the couple in book one. 
And so book two is going to have four POVs, which is not ideal. It's going to have the new couple and the couple from book one as a subplot. And obviously I'm still at the beginning of the plotting process. I always knew, or I knew since I did the first fast draft of this version of Savage City, that Ryan and Talia, the main characters, were going to have to continue their story in book two, which is basically what happened with Earth Center Chronicles with um, Darwin and Kiara. Like way back when I wanted to, who are the hero and heroine of Whispers of Shadow and Flame? And co-heroes and heroines in book three, Cry of Metal and Bone. Same exact thing. I guess this is what I do. Learning to accept that is hard because I wanted one couple per book, just a clean one couple per book trilogy of books. And my brain apparently will not allow me to do that. Anyway, so the plotting is actually going really well. Um, there was a moment at the beginning when I was doing the brain dump of everything that, that I thought could happen where I was like, wait, what if he should actually end up with this other character? Like I was going to change the entire heroine, the entire love story in the trajectory. And I was on the co-working writing call that I do in the mornings. And I talked to one of my friends who had read, she was a beta reader for Savage City. I was like, this idea just came to me. What do you think? And she was like, uh, no, your original one was better. And then I talked to my brother who has recently read Savage City. And he was like, no, the original idea is better. So I went back to the original idea, um, which is better. <laughs> I like to be open to everything that new, new that, that comes in and, and the possibilities. But um, maybe sometimes I'm too open. I don't know. I do. I've I've settled into the original idea. I think that's stronger. I think it's more conflict. I think it's it helps me bridge this gap between these four POVs and and um, you know, it's the story is in some ways similar to Earthlinger Chronicles in, in that there are you know these two groups that are opposed and they have to come together eventually, um, and so maybe that's why I'm I'm having a similar thing happen where. The first book, you're kind of focused on this little part of the world, and book two is going to get bigger, and then book three is going to get a lot bigger. And it seems natural to me, and I guess we'll see in the future when I do another series <laughs> if that is... This actually happened in Angelborn, too, I'm pretty sure. So maybe that's just how I do it. But I'm, I'm happy so far with the plot, um, and I just have a lot more work to do, and hopefully my... my Initial goal right now is to do the fast draft in March, by the end of March, because um, this book needs to be done by the end of the year, but other things are going to come in, encroach on my time. So I'm trying to try to get this one done as soon as possible, or at least have the fast draft done so that I can schedule in draft two sometime over the summer, I guess. I have no idea what my schedule is going to be. Um... Other publishing news, The Monsters We Defy, I had my proofreader queries from the past pages. So I had read the proofread, or I had proofread, I sent it in. They had other proofreaders who found some stuff and asked me questions about it. 64 pages. <laughs> so it was like 64 pages of the book, which is, how long is that book? 300, 400 pages? I don't remember. Uh, and I had to really think about it. It was word choice. It was... A lot of comma splices that <laughs> slip through the cracks. Um, awkward sentences 
echoed words and things that just required me to think. Oh, also some, some um, like fact checking about the names of places. So does this um, one example is Cafe Deluxe, which was a place that existed in DC. Did it have the accent ague over the cafe or not? And I had to go back into my book and find where it's written. And yes, it did use the, the accent over the cafe. Or um, another place where the name, the official name is of the, of the building was not the name that people used colloquially. And so the proofreader had looked it up and was like, this is the real name. I was like, yeah. But I had read some biographies of people autobiographies where they had used this other name, this colloquial version of the name. So figuring out how things are going to be called and just those minute details that I love. <laughs> I love it. It it took a lot of my brain. Um, I, I split it up into like 20, 20 pages a day, 22 pages a day, and just went through everything with a fine tooth comb and um, rechecked some things, but it was great. Also, marketing for Stafford City still going on. Um, I have this, you know, my checklist in Asana, the project management tool. And every time I check something off, I feel like I add two more things. So it's going. And then I feel like I don't have a lot to show for all the work that I've been doing. Not in terms of anything tangible, but just in terms of I spent hours and hours planning and plotting and doing things. And then I'll make one post on Instagram. <laughs> But I've scheduled several posts for the coming weeks. I'm still tweaking graphics, scheduling things, planning things. I posted the first five chapters of Savage City that you can read for free. I will link to that in the show notes in case you're interested in it, in that. I posted that to my newsletter and my Facebook group. I haven't done a wide post on it, I don't think, because I'm still... I'm still making plans. Like that was one of the things I had to add. I was like, oh, I'm giving away this for free. You have to sign up to my newsletter to get it. And I have to have an autoresponder. And I feel like I need some, like a new autoresponder. Like I have my standard one. When you sign up to my newsletter now, um, there's a sequence of four, five, six, several emails that you get over the course of you know one a week that introduce you to me and my writing. And that's kind of how things are supposed to be done, right? You have an autoresponder. Um, but I do feel like for this one, I need at least one or two initial emails. And then I guess I can feed people into the normal autoresponder after that. But yeah, just additional things to do before I can kind of post it wide. So it's things like that. The list is long still, even as I'm doing things and actively checking things off and ordering things. Um, I want to get the pre-order campaign up this week making a form on my website, things like that, like things that just take time that at the end of it, yes, I have the form on my website. So I guess that is something that I have to show for it, but I don't feel like I've accomplished enough tangible things that are making a difference. But also I enjoy this. Like I like making forms on my website and I don't like making autoresponders um, for the email, but um, I like making graphics. I like, so certain things, I'm just kind of leaning into the things that I enjoy. And um, that was kind of my my stance at the at the beginning of this, where I was like, I'm going to market in a way that I like and try to divorce it from the actual sales numbers, but make sure I'm doing things every week to help promote the book. And so 
that is happening and I count that as a win and I'm excited about that. I've also, um, there's posts on Instagram, the meet the characters posts that I've been doing. And I did not hire an artist to make any character drawings for this book. I do want to do that for Monsters We Defy. But I've been playing around with Artbreeder, which is this website that you can basically make AI-generated images. So you can upload images and it will tweak them, I guess make them unique a little bit. And then you combine multiple images and tweak their characteristics and make an AI-generated face. And so... uh that's actually been fun to bring my characters to life in that way. I've done two of the characters so far. Um, I'm going to do at least one more. And every week I'm posting like meet the characters in Savage City. So it includes the little AI generated face. So I'll link to that in the show notes if you're interested in seeing my AI generated character faces. I think it's really cool. Like it doesn't replace having an artist do like a full body or poses or something. It's just a face, like head and shoulders. Um, but I was able to make the characters look very similar to how they are in my mind. Like not exactly because I just didn't have, I don't know, I could probably spend hours more time doing it. Um, but they're really close and it's really cool. <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing that too. Also, I saw several authors in newsletters talking about reading this book. So then I read it. It's called 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. And it's really good. Like, I listened to the audiobook. Um, and I, I did find it like a little bit rambly at times, but the core ideas are totally worth the rambles. And the core idea is just that, you know, I wrote this quote down. Let's start by admitting defeat. None of this is ever going to happen. And that's kind of referring to the idea that you can time manage yourself into this perfect schedule where you can handle everything that comes to you. You know, there is a myth in productivity systems, in time management books, in all of these, you know, ways that we're trying to wrangle and control our time. And part of that is is the myth that you can actually succeed at this or you can get so much better at this. And the truth is, you can't. And I love productivity. I love time management. I love planning. I love lists. If you've listened to any, for any length of time, you know this about me. And there is a frustration that, or that feeling that if I could only do this better, I would have it under control. And I didn't need this book to tell me that that was not the case. Like, I know in my heart that I'll never have it as under control as I would like. I do believe that you can make incremental improvements, and I have done that. And the book is not saying that you can't, but it is very freeing to give yourself permission to say, I will never get it all done. I will never get it all organized perfectly. I will never be as efficient as I want to be. And that is okay, because I am a mortal. <laughs> and it's also interesting that the other authors who I saw talking about this book talked about things that I didn't even get out of it at all. Like, you know, your takeaway from something is going to be completely unique to you and what you need. And that's great. That's that's the point of it. Um, but it's also just interesting to see this person got something very different out of it. And, you know, I thought the message was very clear and this other person got something very different out of it. But I would highly, highly recommend this book to everyone. I'm thinking of buying it for all of my family members and sending it to them and making them read it. I did that with The War of Art because giving yourself permission to just be you know, there are a lot of different ways he says it in the book because he's quoting different philosophers and um, t 
like meditation people and industry people. But it kind of comes down to give yourself permission to understand that you are never going to conquer time. One of the things is like, we don't have time. We are time. Our lives are, I think if you live 80 years, it's 4,000 weeks. You know, you could live more, you could live less. Thinking about it like that, that time is not a commodity that we spend. That's how we talk about it. But really time is our existence. And you can give yourself permission to just exist and be and know that you're not going to get through your entire to-do list. So for those of you in video, this is my weekly to-do list. I have four columns. I've bought this really cute pad from um, this website, Mochi Things, because I like the way it looks. And I've listed out in categories from my business, my author business, personal life, errands, long-term things. Every week I recopy this list onto this paper because most weeks I don't get through most of it. And I do it every week just so I remember the things I have to do. But with a list this long, you're never going to get through all of it. This particular template has on each of the four columns of lists, the top three lines are shaded in. And I've seen this on multiple planners. I've got multiple planners, of course. If I have more than three things to do in a day, I'm guaranteed that anything past those top three things are probably not going to get done. And I think I've slowly been coming to the realization that that's okay. That's why I do the most important thing first, because it's impossible to do everything. So anyway, let's start by admitting defeat. None of this is ever going to happen. That is a very freeing statement, especially for someone like me who likes to try to control time as much as possible. And I have a workshop that I give called Organizing Your Writing Life. And um, I'm going to buy the book for myself, a physical copy, so that I can go through it and tweak my slides and my presentation, because I think it's important. I do try to bring reality and and um, gentleness with yourself to the presentation about how can you get things done? How do you organize? How I plan? But some of these concepts definitely need to go into the presentation to be aware that um, you can't do everything. There, That myth, that insidious lie of having it all, of being able to do it all, when did that start and why? Because that is terrible. And I think that has done a lot of harm to a lot of people. So kind of reinforcing these ideas that I know in the back of my mind, that I understand, and not fighting so hard against the tide, you know, we're walking uphill, we're kind of running up the down escalator. And uh, it just felt freeing to me. It, it was great. And I might listen to it again. So that is it for me for this week coming goals for the coming week. Um, plot, keep plotting, keep marketing. I'm not doing any writing until I plot. So uh, yeah, that's gonna take up some time. And uh, I hope that you have a wonderful week. I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. And I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.